Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 after six, I'm sorry, 28. After six months walking through Acts, uh, week by week, by week by week, we are here at the end. Acts chapter 28. And as you get to Acts chapter 20, at the end of chapter, chapter, Acts chapter 28, uh, you kind of are left with somewhat of a cliffhanger, all right? And uh, we are used to cliffhangers in movies. I remember the last, the first time I watched Lord of the Rings, we went to the movie and watched Lord of the Rings. I like it now, but I remember sitting in that first movie, I went with some friends going, man, this is the most boring movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, when is this going to pick up? Like, what's going on here? And then by the time it starts picking up and I'm getting into it, all of a sudden the credits start rolling. There's a little Celtic choir singing over the credits and that's it? Really? And we walk out and somebody's like, dude, you know there's like a book. Like this goes on, right? You haven't read the books? I was like, no, they made a movie. Why would I read a book? They made a movie. Uh, So I said, I guess I'll just have to wait a year to see how the rest of this thing goes. And ended up enjoying it. Uh, But you get to the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, and it ends kind of abruptly. It's a cliffhanger. And you don't really have all your questions answered. And we're left uh, wanting to know more. Like how, we, we've been waiting to see Paul stand before Caesar. We want to see what that looked like. And the question is, why does Luke end here? All right, why don't we get a few more chapters? Why don't we get, get a little nice bow on the end of Acts and some conclusion to how the apostles, all their lives ended? And here's why, because Acts is not about the apostles. The point of what we read at the end of Acts is to show us that Paul is not the point of Acts. Luke is not the point of Acts. Peter's not the point of Acts. As we established at the outset of this series, it's, it's really better. It's, Acts is not as much about the Acts of the Apostles as it is the continuation of the Acts of Jesus by the power of his Spirit and his Word through the Apostles and through every believer who walks this planet between here and when Jesus returns again. So the story leaves us hanging here, but his point here is to show us that Paul's not the point. Jesus is the point. And Jesus still has unfinished work to do in the world that he wants to complete. And really it's an abrupt ending that's meant to be an invitation to believers living at that given moment to participate in the mission that marches on. Keep that in mind as we finish up our study. Stand with your Bibles open. Acts chapter 28. Beginning to read in verse 11, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, uh, with the twin gods as figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Patoli. Uh, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we, went, we came to Rome. And there it is. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there... When they had heard about us, came as far from the foreign of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when he had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. 
And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them and testified. To them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was was right in saying that your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, and you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And just think about how this ends. Acts begins with Jesus discipling his disciples in his resurrected body, and it ends with a man who is an enemy of Christ at the beginning of Acts. And look at what it says he's doing in verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, we pray simply this morning that you would help by the power of your spirit in this room, in our lives, That you'd help our minds understand what we cannot understand on our own. Our hearts to believe what we cannot believe on our own. And that your spirit would help us leave here today with what we learn. And apply it to our life in a way that we cannot do in our own strength. May your spirit move. May your will be done. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So as we wind down this study, let's uh, look at three reminders that we find here that will help us. If we're serious about being post-Acts 28 believers. Post-Acts 28 believers who embrace the idea that it's our turn. It's our turn to be on mission. So as a post-Acts 28 disciple, first of all, never forget, and we see this all over Acts, and we see it again here as we come into the last chapter, perseverance is possible. Never forget that. Perseverance is possible. In fact, it's more than possible. Uh, Biblical Christianity teaches us that it's not just possible, it's certain. All right, perseverance is certain. Uh, Let's not spend a whole lot of time on this because we spent a lot of time on it last week. Remember the storm, persevering through the storm? But perseverance is possible. Now, where are we picking up in verse 11 with that phrase, after three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island? All right, last week, you'll remember, we left off in chapter 27 when Paul and his shipmates, they get shipwrecked on an island called Malta. They're on their way to Rome. Uh, They safely arrive onto shore. It's an exciting moment. There's fire there. They've been drenched with water for days and days and days. They're cold. They're on land. They're being comforted and and, uh, warming themselves by fires. And then Paul gets in on the action, wants to build him a fire. And it says in verse 3, now think about this, what Paul's been through. All that he's been through. Poor Paul. Here we go. Verse 3, when Paul, this is in uh, chapter 28, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them in the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and bit him. Paul's like, you got to be kidding me. Really? I just survived a shipwreck, and now I just got bit by a poisonous snake, right? 
And uh, if you look at what, the way that the natives respond to that, uh, they, their conclusion on what just happened was that uh, the daughter uh, goddess of Zeus called Justice, a pagan goddess they worshipped, had uh, you know, brought justice down on Paul. They said, oh, he must be a murderer. They call him a murderer. He's a, mur- he's a murderer. Who's escaped, prisoner who's escaped off this ship, and he's come onto this island, and he didn't get very far. The goddess Justice is taking care of him, and he's gotten bitten by a poisonous snake. They wait for him to die. Well, when he doesn't die, it says in verse 6 that they changed their minds and said that he was a god. All right? You're a murderer. Never mind. He's a god, right? So they're very fickle in their, uh, in their minds. But Paul is there. He uh, quickly finds ways to do ministry. He's a man on a mission, mission of Jesus. He uh, is befriended by Publius, who is a uh, leader in that, um, in that, on that island. He owns a lot of land. It says that uh, his father gets sick, and Paul goes and lays his hand on uh, Publius's father, and he gets uh, healed, and, and that begins to spread, and people begin to come, and they begin to uh, ask for Paul to pray for them, and Paul just preaches the gospel there. Three years, and those islanders provide for him. Look at the way that God's providing for the preacher he's taken to Rome. And in verse 11, it says, after three months, it was actually three months, not three years. After three months, they get on a ship and head for Rome. And it says in verse 13, they pull to Patoli, that's a port of Naples, that's 130 miles south of Rome at that point. If you're taking a sea voyage to Rome, along the route that Paul has taken, um, this is the place where you get off of the ship and it's, you're on foot from here on out. It's 130 miles, it's a five-day walk, but you're on land, he is there. And so this is a good moment for him. He, next stop, Rome. And in verse 15, he gets to Rome. It says, the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far from the foreign of Apius and three taverns. I don't know, it sounds like a steakhouse or something, um, to, to meet him. He gets to Rome and, and he does what he always does when he goes into a new city. He gathers all the Jews or he goes into a synagogue here. He gathers Jewish leadership to himself. And, you know, he, this is normal, but at the same time, there's something uh, that's a little different here. There's something on Paul's mind that he has to gather these Jews and talk to them about, all right? It, and it's this, he, he, it, he's under the impression that more than likely some rumors have gotten to Rome about him. I mean, you would feel that way too if all this time has passed. Do you remember how it went down for him in the headquarters of Judaism back in Jerusalem not too long ago when they were beating him almost to death, when they imprisoned him, when they had a big trial? Everybody was talking about Paul. They were plotting, the, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to kill him, right? He wasn't like, his approval rating wasn't up in Jerusalem, all right? And, and those Jews were connected all throughout the Roman Empire. So certainly it had spread uh, to Rome, this troublemaker Paul. So he gathers them and says, let's get this straight. In verse 17, he said, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. All right, that's a, a lot packed into that statement right there. That's a summation of everything that you read about from chapters 21 to 27. And that verse is making a point that we'll get to in a second, but it's also meant to take our minds pretty quickly back through everything that Paul's been through. Think about everything that he's been through from chapter 21 to 27. Just time-lapse it in your mind for a moment, all right? Bloody, beaten, unfairly tried, put in dungeons, mocked, mistreated, battered by a typhoon, shipwrecked, snake-bitten. And not just this period of his time, but all, all of Acts and everything that all the apostles, apostles went through and everything that, that Paul goes through. You know why Luke goes to great links to make sure that it's presented before us, that we see the good, the bad, the ugly that they walk through as people on mission for Jesus Christ to validate the promise that Jesus made to his disciples in John 16, that in this world, make no mistake, you will have trouble. 
Now, while it's true that being in the center of God's will is the best place to be, and eternally speaking, the safest place to be, that doesn't mean it's not a risky place to be, a dangerous place to be, and that it won't involve at times walking through seasons of pain and suffering. Think about Paul. Paul is dead smack in the middle of God's will, and he just got bit by a snake. And soon in the center of God's will, he'll be beheaded. And what we've learned in in Acts, and hopefully if you already knew this, it was reinforced through our study, it's this, that any version of so-called Christianity that ever comes along and promises you nothing but a a prosperous, problem-free, pain-free life on this earth, as long as you keep, you know, having enough faith, as long as you keep following Jesus right, as long as you keep giving enough money to your church, as long as you follow him the right way, that kind of teaching is antithetical to biblical Christianity. You can be living faithfully, believer, and lose your job. You can be living faithfully for God and lose your spouse. You can be living faithfully for God and lose your child. You can be living faithfully for God and get sick or get mistreated and walk through great difficulties. So it's, it's showing us that. Don't be surprised when you walk through these things because you, God's, God's will for your life will lead you right smack dab in the middle of some trials. But it also shows us with the triumph of the gospel through the book of Acts to not lose heart. That the same grace that carried Paul, that the same Savior who never left his side, that the same God who used every trial for a purpose in his life to make and mold and shape him more into the image of Christ, the same word that gave him promises to stand on, the same gospel that triumphed in Paul's life, and the same Holy Spirit that helped him persevere, persevere, believer, has all been given to you in Christ Jesus. That's why we can say with Paul in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ, who loved us. We may get tired, man. We may get weary. We may fall away at times, but ultimately we will persevere because in Christ, we are supplied endlessly with everything we need to be a conqueror in Christ. He empowers our faithfulness. He makes it possible to persevere. Second point is this. If we're gonna be a post-Acts chapter 28 disciple, we need to understand not only that perseverance is possible and certain, we need to understand that persuasion is necessary. Persuasion is necessary. You see this throughout all of Acts, but it comes back up right here at the end of uh, of Acts in Acts chapter 28. Now, leading up to this persuasive word, it's it's a little comical right here. Remember, he arrives to Rome and he seems to be a little nervous about what they're gonna think about him. Um, And and so he's human. And so he's he's probably thought about this uh, along the way. Like, I've got to get to Rome. I can't wait to get to Rome. I've got to get them together and I've got to make sure they understand. He's got a speech ready. Hey, hey, what? Hey, listen, guys, I need you to know. I'm Paul and I need you to know as the Jews in this area, I, I have no, I'm not here because, you know, appealing to Caesar because I got something against my nation. I've got nothing against my nation. That's not why I've appealed to Rome. I'm here to defend myself. I've stirred up some trouble because of my view of the hope of Israel, which he hopes to explain here in just a few moments. And I believe he came and fulfilled the law, but I, have, I, I love my heritage. I love my nation. That's not why I, I'm here. So he seems to be a little defensive. And, and as he's getting this out, some of those Jews kind of stop him. In verse uh, 21, the Jews are like, yeah, we haven't heard anything about that. And we, no, no word has come about that to us. And Paul's like, really? You haven't heard about me? But they, but they say, but we have heard about this sect. We have heard about this sect called Christianity that's stirring up a lot of problems. So if Paul was feeling like his feelings were a little hurt that they didn't know who he was, it doesn't last long because Paul knows it's not about him. It's about Jesus and the gospel. So he begins to teach. And look at verse 23 
It says when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That word convince is important. Circle it, make a note of it. It can also mean persuade. And as we see here, once again, in order for you to be a post-Acts 28 faithful Effective disciple, persuasion is necessary. And Paul models for us what that looks like all the way up to the end of his life right here. Right? We're not believer, called to be an evangelist, which is all of us. We're not emotionally detached gospel information deliverers. That's not who we are. New Testament evangelism is not just like you're a gospel paper boy, like you're just delivering the good news of, of the gospel like the mailman. I've heard people say that before, right? And I think it's well-meaning, but you, if you stop and think about it, it may not be the best analogy, right? I'm just a gospel mailman. Like I'm just here to call to deliver the news, right? I don't know about you, but my mailman, it's actually a male lady. Uh, she's not very emotionally detached, att- attached to my mail, right? I've, I've ne- in all these years, I've never had her come up to my door and be like, Mr. Revis, I need to talk to you, right? I, just, can I have a moment of your time? Please, I'm, I'm, I, just whenever you're ready. All right, you ready? Okay, I know that you probably don't pay a lot of attention to this unsolicited insurance offer that you usually get from this car company, but just to, before I give it to you, don't take it yet, just listen to me. Listen, I would really encourage you. I mean, might I say this looks like a very promising offer, sir. I mean, please, no, don't, don't, don't leave just yet, please. I'm serious. Automotively, it's changed my life. I accepted this insurance coverage, and it's changed my life forever. Please, please take it. You're going to regret it if you don't. Go, please, just think about it, right? No, she tosses it in my mailbox. Like she probably even read it. Doesn't know what she's giving me. Slams the thing, and she puts on to the next house. She's emotionally detached. It's a cold exchange. That makes sense for my mail person to do that. I don't want to have that interaction with my mail person. It makes sense for the Amazon delivery person to be like that, but not for a courier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not how we deliver the good news of the gospel. Hey, and there's been some, there have been some great evangelistic programs that have come out that have been super helpful to understand how you can creatively or effectively and clearly evangelize and share the gospel. But does it not at times feel like some of those programs, man, it feels like you're, it's your job just to kind of simply deliver X, Y, Z, and I need you to sign on the line because the program says I got to get to five more people today in order for me to kind of meet my quota of this program. And Paul's ministry teaches us that when it comes to propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, it involves a life of gospel persuasion. We're emotionally attached to the good news that we're sharing. Why? Because we've tasted God's grace. Why? Because we've experienced the miracle of going from death to life. Why? Because we know eternity is at stake. That everyone we interact with that is relationally close in proximity to us that we can make an impact on. They're, they're an eternal being that's either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. That's what we believe based on God's word. And so that should, that should create a desire in us to convince them and lovingly persuade them, never watering the, the gospel down, never watering the truth down, but wrapping it up and being careful the way we carry it, making sure we wrap it up with loving words and actions and a lifestyle that matches the message and making sure that we have a willingness to take the time that it takes to convince people and lovingly persuade people on what Jesus came to to do for them and what he did on the cross in their place. Now he rose from the dead and everything that the Bible says he is and what he can do for that person, a sinner, and save them by grace. 
That is what Paul does. He walks them through the scriptures. That's, that's the main tool for lovingly persuading people, being a gospel persuader, is scripture. It says that he was trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. We don't know exactly where he goes. I don't know if maybe he went to Genesis. Maybe he went all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and then got to Genesis chapter 3 and walked through Adam and Eve and how God created man and woman in his image and created a perfect environment to exist in. And God gave him just one rule. You know, people like to knock on God and Christianity about rules, right? Well, in the beginning, when everything was perfect, the way God created it, there was one rule. Thousands and thousands of yeses, one rule. And they got to enjoy perfect fellowship with God and life in an unfractured, perfect world in just one rule, and it lasted one page in the Bible. And Adam grabs the fruit and chomps into it. And God comes to Adam, who you know, has that moment to be a strong, godly leader in his home and his relationship, and says, Adam, why did you do that? And he said, she made me do it. Points at his, he points at his wife. That made it for an awkward minivan drive out of the Garden of Eden, right? Really, Adam? You throw me under the bus back there. She made me do it, right? Well, Eve blames it on a serpent and Sin creates a mess and a curse falls on the earth. And Genesis uh, 3 shows us the fall of humanity. But Genesis 3.15 also shows us hope. The Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's what we call the proto-evangelion. It simply means the first good news. It's right there in Genesis chapter 3. So maybe he starts there. Maybe Paul goes on to how the first animals were killed and the skins of those animals were wrapped over Adam and Eve to cover their sin and their shame. Maybe he walked through the story of the Jews enslaved in Egypt and how that night that that final plague fell down on Egypt that for those Israelites who, who wiped the blood of that spotless lamb over the doorpost that the death angel passed over and their firstborn son wasn't killed. Maybe he walked through the Ten Commandments that Moses, God gave Moses and, and explained how these are good boundaries for life, but it's really meant to be a mirror to show you your sin, to show you how you can't keep up with the Ten Commandments, how you've broken every single one of them multiple times. We all have. We should obey God's law, but we don't obey it. It shows us how holy God is and how sinful we are and the separation that exists between us and him. Maybe he walked through the sacrificial system described in the book of Leviticus in Numbers and how once a year on the Day of Atonement, an animal would be sacrificed and then the high priest was the only one who could carefully walk into the most holy place and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat to cover and atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. Maybe he takes them to Isaiah and talks about the prophecies of the suffering servant or maybe he takes them to Psalm 22 where a suffering Messiah is prophesied about where it says, it says this quote, Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands and feet, they divide my garments garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots a messianic prophecy crucifixion was invented in 300 bc that prophecy was written in 1000 bc and if that's where paul took them we don't know but certainly we can anticipate that he took them to places like that and wherever he took them in the law of moses and in the writings of the prophet you can guarantee that he took a he drew a line from those places and drew a line to one place one person and that's jesus christ jesus who fulfilled the law 
Jesus, who lived, who was the perfect substitute, who lived the life we can't live and died the death we deserve to die and, and hung on that cross and his hands were pierced and his feet were pierced in our place. It's where the soldiers divided his garments, fulfilling that prophecy where he was slain as the perfect spotless substitute that we needed and, and how when he died, the veil in the temple was torn and how he became the far greater priest who intercedes for us on the basis of his perfect and far greater atoning sacrifice, how he was buried in a grave. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he walked out of that grave. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. And Paul probably took time to explain to them, listen, this just isn't something that's, this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't something one person thought of in the woods and came out and tried to convince another, a bunch of other people. This is something people saw. Our faith is not based on some wishful thinking. It's based on a historical event that happened. Jesus, the hope of Israel is alive. You can only imagine his heart, heart to heart, convincing them, persuading them, saying, listen, guys, look into my eyes. I used to fight against this sect. I used to try to shut it down, but I'm telling you, it's true. The conquering Messiah that you're waiting to come and overthrow Rome. Listen, you miss, you've missed it. I missed it. The conquering Messiah and the suffering servant are one person. And he's come and his name is Jesus. And he didn't come from a place we thought he'd come from. He came from Nazareth. He's a carpenter's son. And he, he lived a perfect life. He's the son of God. He demonstrated it through miracles. And he died on the cross. And he rose again. And he can save you. Okay, so Paul is not just transferring information, is he? And neither should we. It says in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said. But it says others disbelieved. Wow, not everybody's gonna listen. Hey, and if people heard the apostle Paul preach the gospel and didn't believe, people stood there and heard Jesus preach his gospel and perform miracles in front of them and not believe, dare I say people in Schindler Drive Baptist Church on a Sunday morning like this can sit in a service and hear all of this stuff and not believe either. That word disbelieve, it's kind of a positive rejection. It doesn't mean that they're just hostile. You're crazy. Kind of like Festus said to Paul a few chapters ago. It means they completely understand what he's saying. They say, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. We're putting the pieces together, but no thanks. And he kind of senses that, that stiff arm and he quotes Isaiah 6 right here. And it's still in the mode of of loving persuasion, and he says, hey, some of y'all understand, but you don't understand. Some of you see, but you don't see. Some of you hear, but you don't hear. Some of you come to church on Sunday mornings, and you sing songs, and, and the words in those songs make sense to you. You can, you can explain the gospel. You can explain it maybe as good as I can, but it's up here, and you are 18 inches away from missing heaven. To where it makes sense in your mind, but it's never impacted your heart. And so the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to those Jews is the Holy Spirit that speaks through his living word and his eternal word. And he's speaking into this room to some of you. Maybe you grew up in church and it's all up here. Maybe like me, I didn't get saved till I was 18 years old and it wasn't until I was 18 that I saw my need for a Savior. I realized I had all the facts up here, but my heart was far from experiencing and colliding with the grace of God. So can I just plead with you in the name of 
gospel persuasion this morning, if that's you, in your heart, believe. The Holy Spirit's drawing you. Don't resist. Repent of your sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and bow your knee to him as Lord. We're gospel persuaders. Not arm twisters. The Holy Spirit does the work. The Holy Spirit quickens the heart. But with the scriptures, we lovingly persuade and seek to convince people. The last thing, multiplication is certain. This is extremely encouraging if you're seeking to be a post-Acts 28 believer. As the gospel triumphs throughout the world, the making of disciples is a certainty. Listen, Jesus is making disciples in this world right now. Whether or not you're becoming a disciple or making a disciple, He's doing that work because he promised he'd do that work. At any given time between now and his second return, he, he is making disciples right now. It's happening all over the world. In verse 28, it says, they will listen. The word will there is very important. They will listen. It doesn't mean all will listen, but there will be people who believe. There will be people who believe over these next couple years in Jacksonville, Florida, and become disciples and begin to disciple others and disciple their children. And the gospel will advance, and not just in Jacksonville, but across the globe. That's why there's more Christians today than there were on the planet 2,000 years ago. Because multiplication is certain. Because the gospel triumphs. That's another major takeaway from Acts. The one thing that Jesus said, you better do, he ensured that it'll be done. Listen, this is, the way I want you, this is what I want to leave you with as we end Acts. The question is not, will the gospel advance? You will live and you will die. And before you showed up on the scene onto this planet, the gospel was advancing. And when you die, the gospel will keep advancing, lest Jesus return. And while you're alive right now, while you're breathing air, you got air in your lungs and a heart beating in your chest, the gospel will advance. That's not the question. The question is, will you fully participate? Remember why this ends on a cliffhanger. Remember why we don't get to see Paul reach his dreams, why we don't get to see all the details of how his life ends. Here's the reason why, because it's not about Paul and his dreams. It's about Jesus and his mission and the Holy Spirit and the advancement of the gospel. And it drops off here to serve as an invitation for us to fully participate because we are the next chapter. We are chapter 29, we are chapter 30, we are chapter 31 if we choose, empowered by the Holy Spirit to move forward as individuals and corporately as a church and say, we're all in, we wanna participate. The question is not, will the gospel prevail? The question is not, will the gospel advance? It's, will I participate? God, or Paul did. Paul did. Paul participated. Paul put his life at the disposal of Jesus Christ. Wasn't perfect. Persevered. Kept moving. Paul participated. Paul got the gospel to Rome. Will you get the gospel to your workplace? Paul got the gospel to Rome. Will you get the gospel to your classroom students? Paul got the gospel to Rome. Will you get the gospel to your neighborhood? To the lost members in your family? Are you willing to participate, to not give up on, to keep praying for them, to keep seeking, to lovingly persuade them to receive the gospel? You're an evangelist. I know, I know, I feel it. Every time we talk about evangelism, I tried to tell you, pastor, I tried to tell you this a thousand times. I took that spiritual gifts quiz online. It took me three minutes and it said that my gift is not evangelism. 
that I, I can cook cupcakes for people. I'll be happy to drop those off at somebody's house, but I'm not gonna do the whole talking thing. You do that. You preach. Let me cook cupcakes. Let me move chairs of the church. That stuff's important. Cupcakes, chairs of the church being moved, important. But here's the bottom line. The Bible never says evangelism is only done by a few people who feel gifted in it. Everyone is called to the work of an evangelist. Everyone is called to be on mission. You say, I don't know if I can. Your heart needs to be submerged in all these chapters and acts. You need to bury yourself in the truth that we find here and you need to be reminded that the spirit that blew into the lives of those believers at Pentecost, the spirit that blew into the life of Paul, the Holy Spirit that that carried the gospel 3,000 miles across the known world is the same spirit at work in us. And as we make ourselves available and embrace our turn to fully participate, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be his mouthpiece and to carry that gospel and deliver it well. We're gonna end in a really cool way today because I'm gonna challenge you this morning to to, to commit to fully participate as a post-Acts 28 disciple individually. That might mean you need to get saved today. I'm gonna challenge our church to step forward together and to commit to fully participate locally, nationally, and even globally. And I can't think of a better morning than to have one of our brand new global mission partners, uh, Jen and James Roberts, come and share how as you are committed to this church, as you are a faithful giver to this church, you are literally playing a part in partnering with them and taking the gospel to the other side of the planet.